Hi, and welcome to the UIC Inc. podcast, where we interview real working scientists from episode to episode. On today's episode, we have Dr. Ginger Johnson, who is a plant biologist. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, so what do you do as a plant biologist? Um, so I work for well, a large uh, biotech company, um, and we make... Uh, well, amongst other things, uh, genetically edited seeds. Um, so my job, I'm involved in, I'm actually a protein biochemist with a plant biology background. Um, so my job is to uh, work on regulatory studies uh, involving the protein products in our genetically edited seeds and plants. Uh, so with those regulatory studies, is that something that is self-imposed or are those government uh, regulations? Um, yeah, so they're government, they're global government regulations um, across the world. Um, so in the U.S., it's primarily EPA uh, and FDA who control it, um, and they're looking for uh, safety studies on a lot of different levels. So, like our company does studies on the whole plant level. We do feeding studies with you know whole plant tissue, um, and then we do feeding studies on like the purified protein that's isolated out um, and we do it on both uh, mammalian models for humans so mice um, and then also um, a lot of non-target organisms uh, that would that, that would be encountering the plant in the environment so like monarch butterflies and bees and um, things like that uh, so that would be like the EPA side um, for the environmental stuff but then the FDA side would be like uh, people, the mammalian stuff, so like people eating it. We also do some bird studies, um, all kinds of things, just to make sure um, that the products are not any less safe or not, not safe at all um, than like the conventional seeds or plants. Okay. And uh, what is your hands-on experience there? Are you just looking at the data or are you feeding the mice these little bits of plants? Yeah, so we do not, well, actually, so the insect studies are actually in-house, but that's not my team. My job is just to uh, isolate large, like, up to gram quantities of these proteins. So, like, so for some of the studies for the European Union, we need, like, we do this 28-day feeding study with mice, um, which requires, like, up to, like, 100 grams of the protein of interest. So, um, a lot of the proteins are expressed at really low levels of plant tissue, like 1 ppm. Mm -hmm. So if you imagine getting to 100 grams of that, just like the amount of plant tissue that you That's need, a ton. Um, would be a lot. Uh, yeah. So yeah, we do sort of like small, like microgram quantities up to like 100 gram quantities of uh, isolation. Now, are, are you the one in the lab jamming 100 grams of <laughs> plant matter down these uh, mice? Oh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> We uh, contract out with uh, labs who specialize in that kind of thing. But yeah. Okay. Um, All right. So you're taking that data and interpreting it. Uh, actually, the toxicologists interpret it. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> I literally, we make the protein. Um, we determine okay. that it's active. Um, okay. And then we send it off to like other labs um, in other parts of the country. So the process of making that protein, is it something that you're extracting from the actual plant matter or are you synthesizing it uh, previously? Oh, yeah. Good question. So we actually do both. 
<laughs> okay. So from the plants, we have to isolate a small amount of the protein. Um, and then in order to get like the really large quantities, we do like a bacterial fermentation. So like the same way you would get, um, well, like I guess insulin would be the primary, like most familiar example to people of how you get large quantities of protein from bacteria. Um, mm -hmm. But most insulin that you can buy or all insulin that you can buy is pretty much comes from a bacterial source. Um, then it's like purified out um, and you buy it. So we do the same thing, but with like our trait proteins. Um, by trait protein, I mean the protein that we've introduced into the plant. Um, sure. So we isolate a small amount from the plant and then we have to show that it's equivalent to what we're isolating from the bacteria. And then by using the bacteria, we can synthesize like much larger quantities of it. Um, and actually it tends to be more pure actually that way than coming from the plant, but yeah. Sure. Um, um, yeah. So with these proteins that you're examining, what is their role in these plants? Um, so there are two primary things uh, that we sort of focus or that end up being the traits. Um, one is uh, like insecticidal proteins. Um, mm -hmm. So if you do any like gardening in your backyard oh, or yeah. like gardening, um, you're probably aware of like the BT proteins. You can buy it in like spray. It's like an insecticide, like an organic insecticide. Mm -hmm. um, and it comes from this bacteria called Bacillus thuringiensis. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's BT. Um, okay. And that bacteria makes proteins um, that kills certain species of insects um, and a lot of those species of insects happen to be um, ones that chew up like major commercial crop plants uh, or commodity sure. crops I guess um, so that's one big class of proteins uh, that we focus on um, constantly trying to you know mix and match different pieces um, and come up with new ones that are both specific um, but also effective against these pests um, and then the other class of proteins that we work on would be um, like the herbicide tolerance proteins. So um, the most familiar one of these would be um, the Roundup resistance uh, or glyphosate resistance. Um, but there's a whole class, different classes of herbicides um, that you can introduce this protein into a plant and it makes it uh, tolerant to the herbicide that you apply uh, to kill the weeds um, in your crop sure. fields. Um, so the BT, what uh, what plants were you? Do you find give you the best uh, the best turnout of the BT proteins? Um, the best you mean? Or guess so, the highest concentration of it. Oh, I see. Um, so actually, we try to engineer the crops so that the proteins that we're introducing are expressed at fairly low levels. I mean, we okay. want them to be effective, but we also right try to keep like the amount of like novel pro it's not really novel because it's in the bacteria that are in the soil right. but like the novel protein um is low as possible so that you're okay. minimizing any environmental risk minimal um, effective dose right yeah um so but i mean we the traits are in you know corn cotton soy sure um, i think we've those are the primary ones but this year was the first part. year that we did companion plants and oh, cool. uh, yeah it, a lot of great pollinators a lot of a mm -hmm. uh, lot of success in the garden but now we have 
we have a couple tobacco plants that we're going to be putting in for next year that is kind of a, uh, from what we understand, is a little bit of a insecticide. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, they, uh, they are not fans of, they'll take a couple munches and then mm -hmm. no oh, more. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hopefully so, that works. Yeah. yeah, I hope so. Um, so with all of this, I, I guess I would call it technology, but with all these advancements, have you personally seen um, a difference in the last 10 years with all of these technologies that you're, that you're working with? Um, so I guess the genetically edited, like insert insecticidal and herbicidal traits, um, yeah. I think have been, I mean, we keep coming up with novel modes of action, um, to like sort of combat resistance because resistance will always develop to anything, whether it's herbicide tolerance, the weeds will develop resistance to the herbicide, or if it's an insecticidal protein, like the insects will develop resistance eventually. Um, mm -hmm. so I think over the past 10 years, from my understanding, it's been sort of just like little arms race trying to develop new modes of action um, <laughs> against these things. Um, and we also, I don't do this, but the company does do a lot of work with like resistant, what they call resistance management. So trying to plan out um, and see what they expect to be resistant. Um, because I guess from the time that you're like envisioning a new product to the time that it hits the market, it is like 10 years, it is right now about a 10 year oh, timeline. Wow. So planning out like what's, what, what we predict will be resistant to our products um, and what other companies' products are coming out on the market and what might be developing resistance to those because they're all going to exist in the same fields in, across the Midwest um, yeah. or across Brazil or across wherever. Um, so um, my understanding is that there aren't a whole lot of like really huge breakthroughs other than just coming up with different um, variations of these proteins. But that's Hopefully. a difficult, that's a difficult yeah. timeline. Right. Yeah. Um, um, so I think just trying to shorten the timeline is where a lot of the innovations are focused because regulations aren't getting any less strict. <laughs> sure. Now, do you and your team have to also consider changing environmental factors or are you mostly just concerned with what the plants are doing on their own and you think it's going to be fine in 10 years when it gets to the market? Um, yeah, that's a really good question because there are a lot of changing environmental, well, primarily global warming, I think, um, which can cause a lot of unpredictable weather or cause things I mean, you've probably even noticed like in grocery stores, things like the seasons of things are just like shifting a little bit like <laughs> this way and that way um, because it is like warmer earlier in the season um, or at least where I'm based in St. Louis it is. Um, but yeah, I think that global warming is a major thing. The amount of carbon dioxide in the air that plants are taking in changes a little bit as temperatures rise. Um, it'll probably change the different insect pressures insects of much shorter generations so they can adapt a little bit better to you know changing <laughs> conditions than the plants themselves can because you know a plant like a corn crop you get two crops a year in hawaii in 
the Midwest and the United States, you get one crop a year of corn. Um, right. So, I mean, I think that's actually true of a lot of plants in the environment. Like trees are not evolving. <laughs> like a tree generation is decades long. So, right. um, yeah, it'll, it will be interesting to see. That's not really my area of expertise, I guess. But some of the things, like you mentioned short corn earlier, like short corn is definitely an adaptation or a man-made adaptation to sort of more intense weather conditions, like the strong winds that can blow corn over. Um, so short corn is not a protein product. Um, it's an RNA product, um, but that would be an example of, you know, a genetically edited organism that um, was developed to sort of combat these changing weather conditions. Yeah, that's uh, it's got to be a challenge to try and anticipate that when you have a 10-year lead time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I don't know. Uh, that's yeah. What would you say are some other challenges in the in your field, particularly the protein side of things? Um, I guess the most challenging thing on the protein side um, would be just like finding new modes of action. So again, we've sort of been working with the same combinations of proteins and you know we test out starting with like tens of thousands of like potential proteins <laughs> and just narrowing it. so I mean it has kind of been the same paradigm I think for the past few years I guess I'm not really an expert on like what the new things coming in are going to be but we'll see I don't know if there's going to be a major paradigm shift or not so what would you say are the main challenges for your position specifically? Mm -hmm. um, for me, so I'm on the regulatory side. So I think one of the challenges is, um, and I'm not in regulatory affairs. Like I don't work with regulators directly. Um, we just develop the studies that we send to them. Um, but probably just dealing with, you know, global regulators regulators are generally government employees they often have they turn over every few years so by the time you develop a relationship with one and then sort of they learn because they're not scientists necessarily so they sort of have to like learn how everything works uh, and then by sure. the time they learn then it sort of turns over um so just uh dealing with questions that we think we're going to get um yeah <laughs> There's always something, um, you know, some proteins are harder to work with than others, and we do need these large quantities of them. Um, and I don't think regulations are going to get any less stringent over time. So, yeah. Have you noticed that any particular organizations or administrations are easier to work with? Um, I would say that I guess I shouldn't really say anything. I, I'm not really familiar uh, with it, but I do know that sometimes there are like um, political things um, as new regulations are written in different countries. Um, yeah. Have know. you had the Have you had the chance to go visit any of these other countries on no, a work trip? No, that would be really cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I did get to go to a conference uh, for regulators, but it was local. So, or uh, I mean, it happens to be local. So. Sure. But yeah. Uh, so 
what would you say got you interested in science in the first place? Oh gosh. Um, I really liked my high school chemistry class. Um, my okay. chemistry teacher was really cool. Um, and I don't know, I always liked, actually, I really liked food and like food science. Like if you know, like the, like Harold McGee book, like on food and cooking, like I like read that whole book, like cover to cover. Um, I really was into like the science of like how you like cook and like make, like how the chemicals in food sort of like change as you cook them. Hmm. Um, and then I thought I wanted to go into food science. Um, I went to a college that had a food science program that I didn't do. I studied chemistry in college, um, but I chose that college because it had a food science program. Um, and then I think I realized that what I, I was more interested in than food science, because I realized that the jobs well, which is ironic because now I'm working for a big corporation, <laughs> but we work on plants. Um, but I was like, most of the jobs in food science, you sort of end up as a more engineering type job. So like you're working for like an Nabisco or like a flavor company or something where you're like making the cookies crisper or like making oh. the cheese puffs crunchier or like <laughs> um, developing flavors. And I wasn't so interested in that. I was more interested in like the basic science. Um, so I chose to do my graduate work um in plant biology um always with the idea that i was gonna work on like food plant like food crops um which is like primarily how you know plant biology programs are funded is because university or you know you convince the funding agencies that you're gonna help feed the world right. <laughs> so yeah and then i ended up studying uh bacteria i studied bacteria that do photosynthesis <laughs> so I never that's cool <laughs> yeah. um but yeah and then i chose to come work for a company um that works on you know large uh commodity crops although we do have a vegetable business but that's not the area that i'm in so so what would you say has been the most rewarding experience of your career as a plant biologist gosh um I feel like, I don't know, I really enjoy like working with other scientists. Like all of my publications have been very collaborative. Um, and I think it's, yeah, it's the most satisfying when you can do something and you're like, wow, we like really changed the bacteria. Well, in that case it was bacteria. Um, can you tell us a little bit yeah. about the publication? Oh gosh um we used so do you know what crispr is it's like oh yeah um, I've okay. been, I, I think that's such a cool technology and i'm surprised it's not more talked about right and i think that well yeah we're it is becoming like a regulatory topic whether crispr modified products are genetically modified or they're mm. like something different mm -hmm. um I think most of the global regulators are going to end up, it, well, it depends how much of an edit you make, but a lot of them have been landing on the, it's like, there's like this, if you change one base pair, they'll consider it like an edit and like not a modified organism. But then if you like, or the, I don't know, there's like this whole discussion about how it's going to be regulated, but that's beyond me. <laughs> but so CRISPR, yeah, CRISPR is, 
this technology where you have, you know, like a protein that binds to a piece of RNA and the RNA is like a very specific sequence to a place in the genome of the organism that you're trying to modify. Um, so this CRISPR protein binds to this piece of RNA and then you introduce it into your organism that you want to edit it, edit, and then it makes a very specific edit based on that very specific sequence um, of the RNA molecule um, that recognizes a piece of DNA in the organism. Uh, so we used the system, except it's like slightly modified. We didn't make the modification. We just used this modification um, so that instead of making a cut to modify the protein, uh, the CRISPR protein just like sits there. Um, and when it's sitting there and not cutting, it just binds to that spot on the DNA and like prevents it from being expressed. So it like will like knock down the expression of the protein that you're trying that you're like targeting it to. So you're not totally deleting it. You're just yeah. like having it sit there. Huh. Um, yeah. So like if it's useful if you have like an essential protein. Um, and so in our bacteria that does photosynthesis, we use this on like a photosynthetic protein. Um, and they were able to sort of like induce the system to like turn the photosynthetic protein on and off, depending on if we were inducing it. Um, yeah, so the idea was that we were gonna use it to like turn this on and off and then like see how this protein like develops as like when you turn it back on, like how does this protein like behave in the bacteria? Um, so I think I did a kind of best job of explaining that, but um, yeah, so we knocked down photosystem two, which is like the protein that does, or protein complex that creates oxygen in the bacteria or the plants. Um, and then we turn it back on to see like how the protein assembles in the bacteria. Now, is that why you didn't cut it out because you wanted to be able to turn it back on? Yes, yeah. Um, and also, well, this is, it's a bacteria. So actually this bacteria can survive without photosynthesis. Like it'll, you can keep it alive on glucose. Um, mm -hmm. So we were able to sort of like limp it through when it was turned off. <laughs> but I think if it were totally reliant on photosynthesis, you would have, we would have killed it basically. Like was sure. what we were trying to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 So what were your um, findings? Yeah. Um, so the findings uh, actually, so my PhD ended before we could really go anywhere with the findings. Um, but yeah, we could turn it off. It was really cool. <laughs> and then we could let it sort of rebuild. Um, but yeah, we were trying to, yeah. We didn't get very far with the findings, which was kind of disappointing. But I hope that someone someday uses it. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like a a great process that you guys went through. It sounds like it was exciting. And um, you talked about how much you enjoyed collaborating with the other scientists. Were, were they from completely different fields? Were they all studying the same thing you were studying? Um, yeah, so that particular paper, I was working with a postdoc in my lab. Um, and he had more of like an engineering background to do the like, there's a lot of interest in engineering in these like genetic switches where you like, kind of like treating the DNA in the cell like a circuit so you can like add in a piece of DNA and like turn on this gene or like turn it off depending on like what inducer molecule you have. And like cells don't exactly work like circuits, you know, the rest of the cell sort of responds to whatever you're trying to do to it. Um, 
but yeah, he was more interested in those kinds of things, like taking individual genetic elements and using them to like turn things on and off or like control things very specifically in the cell. Um, yeah. And he also, he had an interesting project where he was like trying to, there was a lot of interest in this project, but he was like adding um, nitrogenase. There are like some bacteria that produce fixed nitrogen um in the cells and he was trying to introduce that into like a photosynthetic cell um which involves it, it's like a bunch of different proteins and then he put like the promoter is like the thing that like turns on the gene in the cell and he was like putting different promoters in front of them and like working with expression levels to try to like get it right um which is a much more complicated project than <laughs> yeah. like one protein that we were turning on enough but yeah that sounds like a tenfold more complicated yes yeah and then once you try to introduce a bunch of dna yeah again the cell like reacts to it you know it doesn't just like let foreign dna necessarily sit there or oh, if you're producing yeah. something it will respond to the thing that you're producing and then like down regulate it or like siphon off products to some other process that it's like used to doing um yeah uh, bacteria are interesting yeah. well it sounds like an incredibly interesting project that you guys get to work with CRISPR, which us folks in the public got to hear about a couple years ago and to hear that there's working scientists using it is really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be cool to see. I mean, it's only been around for like 10 years really that like people have been really able to bring it into their labs and use it. So it'll be interesting to see like where we end up with it, you know, in the next 10 years. Yeah. Um, so with the next 10 years, there's going to be more scientists coming in. What advice mm -hmm. would you give to young folks who are interested in a career in science? <laughs> um, I would say to really think about whether you're going into undergrad or you're going into grad school or you're thinking about going into grad school, like really evaluate like what it is that you like about the science. Is it is it that you like problem solving? Is it that you like, you know, working with other people? Is it that you're really interested in a particular aspect of, you know, the science and you're really determined to like figure out that one aspect because if you're really just interested, like, and I'm not saying this to like denigrate science, but like, if you're really interested in problem solving, like, I would definitely consider like engineering type fields because, you know, you don't necessarily have to get a PhD and you can sort of more directly enter the job market. And that's not to say that like an academic field isn't right, but I would say that like a lot of people go into PhD programs and I think I was one of them. Um, and I was very happy that I did my PhD um, and I was really grateful for like that experience. But I would say that like a lot of people are just sort of have this idea that they'll continue on in academia, um, which is great. But like if you're thinking about doing a PhD program, like maybe take a year or two and, you know, join a lab as a tech, not just as an undergrad researcher. See like what it is that you really like about being in the lab. Do you really like being in the lab? Are you really interested in like specific scientific problems or do you just like like the process of problem solving and like iterating and like doing scientific things <laughs> yeah um but so where would you yeah. say you land on that spectrum with the position that you're in 
Um, I'm definitely like, well, <laughs> I ended up, I don't know, I'm in a kind of interesting position where we do like sort of get presented with like new challenges with like different proteins that we have to study. Um, but it is, I mean, any kind of industry job, you are just more being like handed a problem and being told to solve it unless you're really in the discovery part of your industry. And even then you're doing discovery for things that could be beneficial for the business. Um, I mean, any kind of industry job, the bottom line is the bottom line. <laughs> but um, yeah, an academic career is, I mean, it's getting like harder and harder, I feel like, depending on what field you're in, just to like land a job and then like the whole process of like getting PhD and then you probably have to do a postdoc, then you probably have to do tenure and you probably have to be moving all around the country <laughs> for all of that. Um, so it can be really challenging. Um, and if it's what you really want to do, then that's great. But like, I think that there are a lot of other fields that can utilize the skills that you would develop as an undergrad studying science or as a PhD student studying science um, that aren't necessarily like being in academia. And so with your particular field, do you have any hopes for the future of your field of research that you're in? Um, my hope is that we could, and hopefully like the CRISPR type technologies can enable this because um, you can do them a little more quickly. Um, but just like focusing more on like consumer value traits, because a lot of the traits that we work on are, you know, sort of grower value traits. Um, and we sell our customers tend to be very large farms um, as opposed to like consumer value traits where you're like adding more nutrition to the vegetables or like, um, I guess that would be primarily like the consumer value trait. It's somehow adding nutrition or adding flavor or adding something um, as opposed to just the, I'm, like the herbicide traits are very important because they help, you know, produce food more efficiently, but it would be nice to see like some different kinds of traits being integrated yeah nutritional would be awesome uh so what are you working on next what am i working on next um yeah i mean right now i work on insecticidal trait proteins um so i think that's i, I don't know what i'm going to be working on next whatever, whatever. Um, <laughs> so are you still working with the bt protein right now or something else um yeah it's a yeah it's an insecticidal trait protein a bt protein yeah cool well uh where can people learn more about you and your work maybe check out your publication oh gosh um well if you want to hear about cyanobacteria research that's really cool um you can go to the Picrossi lab webpage, which i believe is just Picrossi. uh let me look at this uh, Interesting. I do not have a Twitter or anything. I'm very bad at the internet. Um, well, that's all right. If, yeah. if there if were any uh, <laughs> yeah, budding plant biologists who are considering uh, following that career track and I'd like to ask you some questions, is there any way they can reach you? Um, yeah, they can email me at Virginia dot johnson at wustl dot edu okay um well thank you very much for your time <laughs> thank you yeah i feel like 
I've learned a lot about everything that you do and uh, the different types of work that goes into the plant bio side of all of this. And it's, uh, it's always fascinating to hear from different folks what they're working on. And I, I love to learn about it. <laughs> so, Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you for the conversation. And I hope that everything is going well on the regulatory side of things. I hope that you guys are able to continue doing, doing your work and um, political turnover doesn't stop you guys <laughs> in the midst of your tracks of whatever it is you're working on. Right. Thanks. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. And uh, good luck with the coming harvest season. I'm sure you guys are going to get some more data and everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's got to be a busy time for you guys, right? Uh, yeah. Not well for me, not really, but yeah, for other people. <laughs> company. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. And, uh, I will, uh, Hope to see your work in the farm fields in the near future. Hopefully. Yeah. All right. Th thank you, Dr. Ginger. Thanks. All right.